So, what's it like to have no hope? Any one of you people here are Detroit Lions fans, please put up your hand. No hope. Even Jeopardy had a thing on it about uh, this week, about a team that never made it to the Super Bowl ever and just had no hope of even getting there. And, uh, yeah, just the way that it is. So I'll start off with a story. Have you ever heard stories about somebody lost at sea? In the summer of 2017, longtime commercial fisherman John Aldridge and Anthony Sosinski set out to fish from a place called Montauk, Long Island. As they headed out to sea about 40 miles offshore, Anthony was sleeping below deck. Well, John started to get things ready to go deep sea fishing for the catch they would soon begin to haul in. He was pulling on the handle with all his might when it snapped, sending him falling backwards right back off the boat and into the ocean. The boat was on autopilot, so it just kept on cruising. As soon as he resurfaced from under the water, John began screaming for help, even though he knew there was no way that Anthony, sleeping in the bunk below, was even going to hear him. And Anthony didn't hear him. John watched the boat go up and down over the crest of the wave, and then it was gone. He couldn't see the boat anymore. He was alone treading water in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean without a life vest, thinking this was the way he was going to die. Can you imagine what it must have felt like uh, being in the middle of the Atlantic, treading water, thinking this is how it's going to end? If there's ever got to be a hopeless situation, uh, this is it. Or is it? While John was trying to calm down and quiet his thoughts of certain death and stay afloat, he realized that his boots were very buoyant. He got an idea. He took one off, emptied it out, and plunged it back into the water so it created an air pocket. It did, and it floated. So John stuck the boots under his arms to serve as flotation devices. At least he could stay afloat, uh, a flicker of hope. John thought about his family and felt that no one, anyone, knew really that he was missing. And maybe the two sharks that swam about 15 feet away from him uh, knew he was there, but nobody else really seemed to care. He tried to set some goals, beginning with just, I hope I make it till the morning. It's a true story. Four hours later, Anthony woke up and realized John was gone. He called the Coast Guard. The Coast Guard began its search procedures. Even though the Coast Guard commander admitted he didn't have much hope of finding John in so much open water. On the boat, Anthony found the broken handle and knew what John must have been doing when he went overboard, which also he knew the depth of the ocean as to where he fell over, and he reported that to the Coast Guard. John, however, made it alive to the morning and it kept his hope alive. But the hours kept passing, and there's no sign of hope. Finally, he spotted a fishing boy, was able to reach it and climb on it, and there was now a, what I call, new surge of hope. In less than an hour, a Coast Guard helicopter flew nearby and spotted John waving and splashing. They pulled him to safety. We've been looking for you for nine hours today, they said. Well, he said, I've been looking for you for 12. <laughs> and miraculously, John Aldridge survived. What an amazing story, and what amazing hope. 
if it were most of us out there bobbing alone in the middle of the ocean, we probably would have given up hope that anybody would come rescue us. And that's the whole issue of hope. Hope is like that. Hope is the whisper that maybe even these boots will float if I turn them upside down. I actually thought about that. I said, maybe I should try that sometime, taking my boots. Wouldn't that really work? But the question comes down to it, what is the hope in your life? What is it that keeps you going on? Because life is tough. Life is challenging. As your pastor, as I visit people, whether in the hospital, in different situations in life, I realize more than often than not, we live in a very broken world. And we have to ask yourself, what is the hope that keeps us moving on through life when life sometimes hands us so many challenges? For some, hope is that your life will count for something. For some, you wake up and you say, well, I actually woke up today. That's good. That's a good start. Hope is the percentage you do have of perhaps, maybe maybe I'll beat cancer, talking to people with cancer. Hope is that your marriage or your family relationships, maybe your family will be restored. Maybe my marriage, maybe it'll work out. It's perhaps that first ray of sunshine you see coming through the window after a tearful and difficult night. Hope is hearing the words from the doctor, you're going to be okay. Hope is the flicker of maybe, just maybe, it's the hope and the fuel of faith and dreams. And hope is what we celebrate on this first Sunday of Advent. We all hope for something better. So Advent actually is a season. The word Advent means coming or arrival. And the reason it's, it's marked by expectation, anticipation, longing. And Advent offers us the opportunity to share in the ancient longing or the coming of Messiah to celebrate his birth and be alert for his second coming. It's a season that's also marked by a lot of busyness. Anybody been shopping lately? Yeah, that's why I like online, I know. Sure, nice to have it delivered to your door. Advent is the opportunity to be able to set time aside to prepare our hearts and help us focus on a story far greater than our own. The story of God's redeeming love for a world. Every year Christmas comes around and we say, what's going to be different this year? Or sometimes people will say, well, what do you want for Christmas? And I said, I already have everything I need. And yet there's so many people I meet that are on a quest trying to find something to meet a need in their lives. We need to align ourselves with God's presence rather than the presence or the hectic season of presence. So wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I, uh, oh, it's up there, good. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I invite you into that season of hope. It's time for us a lot of questions that we struggle with as we take time to prepare our hearts for Christ's coming because that's what Christmas is about, the arrival of Christ, the hope of the world. God's been working throughout history for a long time for this season. See, back in the beginning, God intended uh, for his creation to walk freely and openly enjoy fellowship with him like Adam and Eve did in the garden. He was with us, and humanity enjoyed wholeness and intimacy with Christ. They were free to walk around in the garden and enjoy that. And I think sometimes we miss out on the message of Scripture because uh, I actually went to one of the creation plays with my mom, long story, in Hershey, Pennsylvania. It was a big sound and science theater, and it talked about creation. And what I really, really didn't think about, and there's another author that I read talked about it, was the joy that Adam and Eve experienced in the first couple of chapters of Genesis before chapter 3 comes and everything goes to pot. 
And the joy that Adam and Eve joy, fellowship with God, they would hear him walking through the garden and they would just rejoice to be with him. We forget about that. That was God's intention. But you know the story. Adam and Eve chose sin. And separation divided God from humans. And the brokenness of the world has been the ongoing result and we see a society and a world that is broken more than ever with world leaders tending to get together and say, what can we do to resolve and make things better? I don't know about you, I sometimes get frustrated as I hear them talk, and as I hear them talk about different ideas and concepts they're going to have to make the world better. And I just get like, really? You think you guys are going to really make it better? And I think the answer is not. They will strive, they will attempt in their own efforts to try to make the world better, but the world is broken. And the only answer to this world's problem still is Jesus Christ. So, well, isn't that kind of simplistic, Pastor, that the answer to the world is, no, it's not simplistic. It's the message of Scripture that Scripture has taught us all along. The answer to the brokenness of the world is still Jesus Christ. Do you realize that ever since the garden that God has been working in of the idea of bringing rest restoration and healing and wholeness to all that he has made? That's the overall story of the Bible. Throughout it, we can see God making a very way, giving and reminding people of hope that he is still at work. The Hebrew people weren't much different than us, the Jewish nation, when things were not good, or when they were really good, uh, they tend to forget about God. You know, it's, everything's really going good. Why do we need God? Hey, everything's cool. It's nice. But when things got bad, Oh, Jesus, oh, God, where are you? Well, they didn't cry out for Jesus because they don't really recognize him, but they would cry for God and say, Lord, uh, bail us out of the situation. Don't believe it. Read the book of Judges. It goes over 400 years, and you see so many cycles over and over and over again. Humanity really hasn't changed much. And through it all, there's been a deep longing in men's hearts for God to fulfill his covenant, the promise of Messiah, that he would come and make everything right. In the midst of that long journey of hope and hope and looking for an answer from God, Isaiah appears on the scene. And Isaiah prophesied 700 years before it happened that Christ would come. In Isaiah 7.14, we read these words. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Then Isaiah 9, 1 and 2. There will be no more gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, but in the latter time is made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who dwell in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Uh, a little later he writes in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the promise that God gave the nations. Can you imagine the hope that would spring in people's hearts as they realized through the prophet, hope is coming. And God's promises fueled them and their people to continue in believing that God had an answer to the issues and problems of that day. Because the Messiah would come and he would make all things right. The vision of God with us still fuels hope a millennia later. 
In Luke 1, 5 to 23, we see the story of Zechariah. He's a godly man. We're introduced to him. He's, we've been well acquainted with, he was also well acquainted with the prophecies of Isaiah the prophet. He was a priest. Luke 1, 6 says this. It's talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But Zechariah, as he was chosen by lot to go into the Holy of Holies once a year to represent the Jewish nation, suddenly out of the blue, an ordinary day, he was going through his priestly duties, and God drops a mega dose of hope into Zechariah's life for the people of Israel. It's been 400 years, 400 years of quiet, 400 years of silence, and now a clear prophetic voice happens. In Luke 1, 11 and 12, we read this. And there appeared to him, that's Zechariah, an angel of the Lord, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. He said, really? I said, well, folks, you're going through your everyday life. You're doing what God's called you to do, and all of a sudden an angel appears. Uh, do you uh, have a moment like, holy smokes, what's going on here? Like, really? But God likes to intervene at different periods and times, and you can see that all throughout history. But here, the biggest plan is unfolding, the hope of the world. And so an angel showed up and told Zechariah he would have a son who will what? Will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, speaking of John the Baptist. He will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah, it's coming, and your son is going to be the one to do this. Zechariah knew the significance. He knew the prophecies about the Messiah. So when Zechariah received a special angelic delivery, he was a little bit in shock, to say the least, because they all knew about the prophecies, but they probably thought to a certain degree that God had forgotten them. He couldn't quite, quite, quite get over what the part about that, by the way, you and Elizabeth, you're like, yeah, you're having a baby. Really? Yeah. I think God sometimes likes to work miracles in different ways. He likes to take that which, you know, people say is impossible and do something that just, people just like, really? How do you explain scientifically? Well, you don't know. You need to explain it scientifically. Zechariah was in such disbelief. He says, you know what? Because you're disbelief, you're going to be dumb. You're not going to be able to speak anymore. And so uh, that certainly was an inconvenience, uh, being a priest, uh, sort of like losing your voice. But can you imagine the hope that sprang up in this couple when he comes home and has to sign language, which he's never had to do with his life, right on the ground, for having a baby? Can you imagine the look on Elizabeth's face? Like, Really? Uh-huh. The Old Testament prophecies, you know what we uh, studied about here? Yeah, they're all going to happen. It's really going to happen. The one prophesied coming the spirit of Elijah to prepare the way of the Messiah, that's going to be our son. Really. Talk about an inconvenience in their world. How are they going to explain to the townspeople, hey, Elizabeth's pregnant? They're going to like, really? What they use, IVF or what you know, what kind of 
how this happened. Like, this is unbelievable. But God is moving to restore hope that he is still there and that the human expression of God with us is still coming. The God is going to stir up and change eternity forever because God says the answer to the world's problems is Jesus. So no matter how bad it looks in this world, no matter how bad it looks in your life, your situation, your struggle, whatever you're going, the answer still is Jesus. But the thing is, do you really believe that? Do you really believe that? It's so easy to cough up, the answer is Jesus. But when you're going through the stuff, when you're going through the struggle, is he the one you turn to first and say, Lord, help me walk through this challenge in my life. Lord, help me with this situation in my life. Is he the one you turn to first? It's easy to cough up, oh, Jesus is the answer. We can imagine, we can say it theoretically, but in reality, it's not often lived through in our lives because we turn to everything else but Jesus. But yet hope in Israel was alive again. Hope on earth was at its deepest level was alive again. Maybe somebody, uh, some of you are thinking, that's all nice and great for people thousands of years ago, but what about me? They weren't fighting cancer. Their spouse didn't walk out on them. They didn't lose their job without warning. They don't have bills and debts that are stacking up that they have no way of paying. They don't have kids expecting Christmas presents and a mom and dad that don't know how they're going to pay for them. Not to mention maybe meals on the table. And yet no matter what kind of problems or struggle you're going through, whatever season of darkness and pain you're in, let me encourage you, don't abandon hope. Hope is still alive, even in the deepest pains and hopeless circumstances. Hope is alive because God is with us. Well, the thing is, how can we know? How can we find that tiny spark of hope? We're on the verge sometimes of just saying, I give up. I think there's several ways we can reconnect with God's hope during the Advent season. No matter what circumstances you might be facing, there's hope based on God's Word. There are promises that God makes to His people both long ago and today. The reminders that can penetrate our hearts, our spirits, and assures that no matter what we're facing, no matter what bleak tomorrow looks, no matter how bad the pain, God will never leave us or forsake us. Consider these words. The psalmist wrote, Psalm 139, 7-12. He said, this is what David said. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you're there. If I make my bed and show or the lowest parts of the earth, you are there. If I take the, wakes of the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me and the light around me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. 
You need to feel the hope that is in those words because God's saying, I don't care where you're at in your situation, your darkness, your struggle, I am there. And that should give you hope that God has not abandoned you. You are not alone. God with us means he will always be there and nothing, nothing can take that away. Scripture is filled with stories and promises that can rekindle hope within us. So not only should I, my hope be kindled by the promises found in God's Word, but also based on God's character. I can find hope in God's character. The way we can rekindle hope is His character. The story told in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 5, from 25 to 34, about it's a great story of hope about a woman, we don't even know her name, a woman with a bold hope. For 12 years she's been bleeding somehow. No one has been able to help her, according to Mike 5, Mark 5, verse 23. She's in great straits. Doctor tried, but the woman's condition had only grown worse. This was a condition that could have affected everything about her every day of life. But then she hears about Jesus, the stories, the miracles, the healing, and she believes. And in her mind side, if, if I go to Jesus and I touch the hem of his garden garment, I will be healed. The hope of healing, the hope of a new life drove her to take action and go to the one who could offer her hope. If I can just get close enough, if I can touch his clothes, I will be healed. If Jesus is who he says he is, he can heal me. It was a hope she held. It seemed like a small action to do what she needed to do. Was it hard? Oh, to push her way through a clamoring crowd that wanted to see Jesus in action. It must have been difficult, especially with a long-term illness, especially if she was stigmatized and looked down upon, which would be typical in that society and day. Think she was afraid? Oh, yeah, probably. Especially when Jesus began looking through the throng of people after she had touched him, and Jesus asked those words, Who touched me? Of course, the disciples responded, you're in the middle of a crowd and you're asking who touched you? But remember, it's Jesus. He knows who touches him. He knows who reaches out. The woman must have froze in that moment when Jesus said, who touched me? Because on one hand, she already knew she'd been healed. On the other, she was wondering, am I going to pay a harsh penalty for my presumption of touching and reaching Jesus. And so timidly she says, uh, it was me in Mark 5.33. And Jesus connected with her deeply and directly as God with us. The healing, peace, and freedom he gave changed her life in an instant. That's our God. That's his character. That's who our God is. He fulfilled Israel's hope for a Messiah when he arrived that very first Christmas. And yet for them, they didn't know what to expect because he didn't meet their expectations for a Messiah. He fulfilled humanity's hopes for victory over death when he resurrected that first Easter. But one day he will ultimately fulfill all hope and complete God's work of restoration for all of creation. God is true to his character because of who he is. 
And we can take hope that because of God's character, no matter what, how dark your night, no matter what your situation, I understand the character of God, and God loves me. And sometimes you say, well, I've done some stuff, Pastor. Or I've done some stuff that, you know, this just really wasn't right. I get it. But if you put your faith and trust in him as, your, as a son, as a daughter, you put your faith and trust in Christ and received him, remember this, nothing can separate you from what? God's love. So the third way we can find hope is by focusing on God's faithfulness. Not only his word and his character, but his faithfulness. How has God worked in your life? What's he done? What are the moments and memories you've experienced in God's work in your life? You know, times when you had doubts that he was there and he actually was working. Maybe it's been recently. Maybe it's been a long time ago. But in those circumstances swirling around you, the presence of God's spirit was there. You say, well, what's that have to do with hope? What do memories have to do with here and now? This. Gratitude breeds hope. Did you hear me? Gratitude breeds hope. Thankfulness fosters hope. And so what I do is I begin to recount my life. When has God been faithful to me? When has God come through for me? And I remember those things and I say, Thank you, God, for bringing things to my remembrance about the things you've done. That's who you are. Acknowledgement and appreciation in my life for what God has done brings hope. He's seen me through stuff before. You thought there were times in your life that you thought, I don't know how am I ever going to get through this. And you know what? God came through. Do you ever notice he ever comes through at the last minute? When you think like, that's it, I'm done. And God comes through like, oh, okay, thanks, God. Because there's always this phrase that we, we learn, and it's very true. Everything is always done on God's timing. You have a problem with that? I do. Like, you know, waiting for him to come through is like, really? I need you now. And God says, no, you're not ready yet. But I need you now. No, you're not ready yet. Why, why does God do that? Because he wants us to come to a point in our life where we ultimately depend upon him for everything that's happening. Well, I do that. Well, yeah, because then why does he have to keep repeating the same lessons in my life over and over? Because that happens in my life. I think, yeah, I got it, God. God says, you got to learn some more. Oh, okay. Learn to depend upon me. Listen to Jeremiah's words in Lamentations 3, 21 to 26. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Did you catch that at the beginning? But this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. Jeremiah understood that there is hope in the future when we remember what God has done in the past. God, you looked after me, you're going to look after me in the future. Help me to trust in you. He knew that hope 
and hope sparks like a fire. Focusing on gratitude can renew hope in your own soul. Recognizing, appreciating the good that God has done for you in the past increases hope for what he will do for you in the future. I want you to think back in your own lives at circumstances and situations say, did God come through? He said, well, not the way I thought he was. Well, no, God doesn't operate the same way you do. We get that. But I found that there's times in my life that I worried and I stressed and I, man, there's so many things I went through and I'm thinking like, and then God came through and it was like, I'm thinking like, why is I heard a doofus? Why didn't I just trust you, Lord? I know you got this. But the thing is, when you're going through stuff in your life, you sometimes don't always trust God. And that's why God says, remember what I've done for you. I've seen you through, and I'll see you through again. Trust me. So as we nurture this living hope, it can sustain us in our darkest days. Why? Because God has come through for you. So how do we grow in hope? Three points. One, Hope is based on God's word. Two, it's based on God's character. Three, it's based on God's faithfulness. There is a hope. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word to our hearts. Continue to encourage us in our walk with you, Father. And Lord, no matter where we're at in our lives, hope we're not floating in that ocean with two rubber boots around her, under our armpits. But Lord, maybe it feels like that. Help us to put our hope and trust in you that, Lord, you will see us through no matter what the situation. Lord, that we can base it on your word. We can base it on your character. We can base it on the fact, Lord, you are faithful. So, Father, I just pray for everyone here that, Lord, I pray that the God of hope will fill each one of these folk here today with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit that they may abound in hope. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.